stuck if you don't feel like you're being valued in the environment that you spend 40 plus hours a week sometime then that's going to have a huge impact on you and Mm. and what enjoyment you get out of your work so so when we talk about work-life balance i don't like there being a different ellie in work and a different ellie in (laughs) life (laughs) (laughs) which i probably did do to an extent when i started my career i was like i'm gonna go and buy new suits (laughs) this is what i am no i don't party on the weekends no i am like Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Engineering Buzzcast. My name is Jacob Primus, and I'm joined here today, as usual, with my good mate and co-host, Daniel Hardy. Now, today we bring you this episode straight from the KPMG office here in the sunny, and might I mention humid, Brisbane, capital of Queensland, Australia. Now, joining us for today's episode is Ellie Hubbard, an Associate Director of Engineering for the Assets and Project Delivery Team at KPMG. Ellie is a seasoned pro in the project delivery and asset management sector with a wealth of experience in not only client engagement, but also engineering assurance. Having built her impressive career around effective decision-making and more specifically, risk. And no, I don't mean the board game. We'll also delve into Ellie's insights on career progression, work-life balance, but also most importantly, how to identify the opportunities that can really align with your engineering career goals and the steps that you can take to get there. So sit back, relax, and I'll let Ellie tell you all about it. We'll get started. Ellie, welcome to the Engineering Buzzcast. Yes, Thank welcome. you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking the time out to do this today. Really appreciate happy it. Happy to. Yeah. Happy to be here. So, Ellie, let's get a little bit of a taste of your life uh, as the Associate Director for Engineering on the Assets and Project Delivery Team at KPMG. Can you just walk us through like a typical week for you uh, and give us a glimpse into some of the amazing projects that you're working on currently? This is actually a really hard question to answer because I don't really have a typical week. I guess there are some um, activities that I do on a consistent basis. So... Obviously, within our team, um, as the name suggests, we have a lot of engineers. We've got about 400 engineers across Mm. Australia. For me, I do a lot of work in the power and utilities space. So working a lot with distributors, power distributors or water utilities in asset management. So really working with them on how do they make better decisions around how they manage their assets Mm. now and into the future. Mm. And that could look like very different things on a different (laughs) week. So most of my week will be on project delivery so working with clients either virtually or in their office there's kind of an element of business development so working Mm. on proposals or client engagements and growing that pipeline of work for the team and also an element of team leadership so thinking about are the team happy are they Mm -hmm. engaged are we working on (laughs) projects that they want to work on um, making sure that that sort of strategy for the teams thought through as well. Yeah. Mm. Making sure they got Cake Wednesday. Cake Wednesday is a big <laughs> part of the team engagement, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, and more importantly, what do KPMG do? Like for people who haven't heard about KPMG and yep. just thinking like, is it an acronym? Like what is, mm. what is it? Like, it what is, is an KPMG? acronym, but I can't tell you what it is. You'll have to Google that. <laughs> it's the partner's last names. Okay. Um, It's a fair question. I actually didn't really know that KPMG had this offering before I was going through the application process. So um, I sit within an infrastructure assets and places division that's relatively new. It's only about 18 months Mm -hmm. old. So 
in the scheme of KPMG as a firm who's huh. been around for ages, we're the baby. We get mm. a little bit of license to grow our own team. Lots of opportunity cool. there. Yeah, 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 which is new and exciting because when I thought of KPMG, I didn't necessarily think of engineering. Mm. And I think the big four, so KPMG, PwC, EY and Deloitte have a bit of a reputation for working you to the bone and mm. being really focused mm. on outcomes and not focused on people. And kind of my experience here has smashed all of those preconceived yeah, ideas yeah, yeah. I had. It's cool. Um, so yeah, we at Infrastructure Assets and Places Division have engineers, but we also have town planners and business case mm. authors, um, people who get involved in more of the commercial and technical due diligence of a deal. So really from the end to end of anything and everything you can think of associated with an asset. Mm. Um, What we don't typically get more involved in is design and construction supervision. Mm, Yeah, okay. So yeah, more about your daily grind at KPMG, I guess. You talked about like it changes from day to day and Mm -hmm. from week to week. So could you give us like a little bit of a sneak peek into like, you mentioned that you work not primarily construction, but other assets or other parts of engineering. What sort of parts of engineering would that be? Yeah, so I work mostly in the asset management space. So that's sort of thinking about um, how do I manage my asset holistically? So it's not Mm. just thinking about that design and upfront planning and delivering construction. It's also Mm. thinking about how do I get the best use of it through its life? Mm. Um, And how do I do that in a way that's effective, but it's kind of balancing risk and cost and performance. So it's a bit more of the bringing the business acumen into engineering and making those Mm. decisions in a in a way that kind of trades off those different variables. Yeah. yeah, right. Was that like previously sort of divided a little bit before between business and engineering or like has there always been a merge? Um, I think if anything, it's been an artificial divide. Like I think all engineers yeah. should be thinking about these sorts yeah, of totally. things. I don't <laughs> think it's really an effective engineering outcome if you're not thinking about mm. these sorts of things. And um, so... I, Maybe, maybe some engineers think of them separately and think of a technical outcome and a business Mm. outcome. I don't think you can really um, diverge the two. I think they operate like everyone makes business decisions at Mm. the end of the day. We're all in a commercial environment. So I think it's an artificial Yeah, but it's necessary though because you really need to be able to like conflate the two and holistically look at problems and the longevity of projects and stuff like that. Yeah. And it also brings in some of the other soft elements as Mm. well, like how do you have the right people to be managing your assets Mm. and are your systems set up right so that you're making it easy for people and, you Mm. know, how are you communicating that to boards and to your... All the little things added together makes a big difference. Yeah, I couldn't agree more on having the right people, I guess, on a team to manage assets who can also balance all that at the same time. I mean, especially for communication, for engineers especially. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And I mean, the beauty of working at a firm like KPMG is obviously we all have limits of our expertise, but we can work with people who are in our management consulting part who really get staff and Mm. personnel and workforce considerations. So we can bring a really blended approach of thinking of the technical elements and the people elements and everything that goes Mm. into running assets. That's huge. That's awesome. Well, obviously we're the engineering buzzcast. So what is something... (laughs) buzzing or new innovation new ideas new technology you know coming around in your industry at the moment and mm-hmm. what is kpmg doing in that sort of aspect mm-hmm. 
probably mostly what we're seeing is in the power space. Like we're mm. in a huge energy transition. Everyone's trying to get to net mm. zero. Everyone's trying to work out mm, what, yeah, what yeah. does that mean for me and what do I need to do differently? And so, I mean, renewables have been around for a while, but we're really seeing a big uptake of mm, that in the yeah. market, um, which is great. But obviously our clients need to understand what does that mean for them when they've mm. traditionally had a poles and wires business mm. and how do they continue to provide reliable service to their customers when they're dealing with these new and emerging technologies. So definitely seeing that uptake, new sort of technologies being focused on like hydrogen, where there's yeah, been big yeah. announcements in Queensland around that. It's going to be super interesting what happens with hydrogen. Yeah. It's, it's still almost like just new. Like mm-hmm. people only really have just heard like, oh, hydrogen, like, oh, what, you know, what, yeah. what's going on there? Yeah. But I reckon it'll be like the next solar or something like that. Yeah. Pretty, pretty I think the infrastructure around it is going to be the biggest challenge as well. Definitely. Uh, yeah. a whole new especially for Queensland and places that are quite rural in Australia. That's yeah. Like a, like a mm. huge problem. Exactly. And so the <laughs> hubs in Queensland that have been announced are in Townsville and Gladstone. And so mm. it's like there's yeah. been a decision to have hydrogen hubs there. But then what does that mean? And yeah. who yeah. looks after the infrastructure? How does it affect things like our ports that yeah. need to mm. export? And so that really systems-based thinking of how do we make this work? Mm. How do we make new infrastructure work with our mm. existing infrastructure? Yeah. yeah, And you don't want to go taking away the old infrastructure away too yeah. fast because exactly. then people don't have the time to yeah. adapt to that new one. And yeah. also it's a, I feel like it's a very fine line between convincing them, oh, hey, this is new technology, but it's going to take away your old things. Are you ready to yeah. adapt to yeah. it? Yeah. Sort of like pulling the rug under their feet. It's a whole cultural do shift sort of thing. Definitely. Everyone has to be on board to just shift over slowly. Yeah. yeah. And I think we're pretty picky as customers. Like we mm. expect to be able to come to our homes and turn our lights on and yeah. <laughs> have access to Wi-Fi all the time. We don't yeah. expect intermittent power supply. And so mm. that I don't think as a community we're educated enough around we want green energy, but what does that actually mean for me? And am I mm. individually going to take the responsibility mm. to maybe reduce how much I'm using? Mm. And that awareness piece, I think, is something that could grow. Mm. Yeah, I think the biggest thing everyone thinks of too is personally, how does this financially affect me as yes. well? Yeah. Especially yeah. like in because it affects your general life, not just your work life. Mm. It affects yeah. you at home and everything like you just mentioned. Um, so like, I guess people would immediately think, oh, how's this going to financially impact me as well? Definitely. <laughs> yeah. That's the big thing. Yeah, um, we want our cake and eat yeah. it too. We want yeah. green energy, but we don't want to pay for it. Especially yeah. on Wednesdays. Especially on Wednesdays. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, out of these shifts, um, which of these can we expect to sort of have a lasting impact and shape the future of the engineering industry? So, what should we start moving towards now that may affect something in the future that you've seen or you've heard someone speak about or you've seen in, in your industry? I mean, I think the en- energy transition's here to stay. All the yeah. n- net zero targets have been agreed at an international mm. level and yeah, are getting yeah, filtered down mm. to... What does that mean for us in a, at a state level? So that's going to be around for our lifetime. Mm. In Brisbane, we've got the Olympics that's kind of driving a bit True. more action yeah. as well. We want to have a showcase on Brisbane and yeah. <laughs> um, be a carbon positive Olympics. Yeah. So that's definitely here to stay for at least the next few decades. And so mm. I guess with that comes a bit of a shift in maybe the skills that I have now are not going to be the skills that I need in the future or maybe there's new jobs that we Mm. need that we haven't yet thought of and how can we stay across that changing landscape? Mm. That's the scary thing. It's like, will there be a a vacuum in a sense of jobs where like people don't have those skills now that they're going to need in the future? I guess it's sort of like that 
at that point in time when computers first came out, it was like the people that couldn't use computers and the people that can use yeah. computers and it drew that line in a sense. I think like it's looking at that and seeing, can you predict that in a sense, I guess, is the biggest challenge. As like, in, do you think we'll have a drop-off or a big demand? Yeah, for yeah, yeah. Like, are, do you yeah. think there'll be any specific skills that maybe engineers should be looking at now or mm. anything that you've mm. seen? It's interesting because I think we have a bit of a skill shortage now, let alone considering Mm. what we need in the future. And I don't think COVID and lockdowns have really helped because we have less internationals coming in to help us out with skilled work. I think, again, it's a bit of a balance of how do we keep doing what we're already doing, but how can we help prepare people for a bit of a transition? Mm. Because I think this, we don't necessarily know what all the skills will be. We know that there are some emerging areas that we can kind of have no regrets. Mm. Let's bank on this. We know this will be needed. Yeah. But I don't think we know what we don't know. Yeah. And there like might be with hydrogen things. and stuff. We like we don't even know what jobs could exist exactly. in ten years regarding yeah. that. Like, new engineers, like yeah. entire new subsections of engineering, could be just yeah, just waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah, just waiting to happen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but some of it might be transferable, and maybe we just call it a different thing. But yeah. it's the same sort of skill set that we yeah. already have. That's true. That's actually a good point because like we do have the skills now. Will it just have like a new title in the future? Like mm. I've seen that happen quite a lot. A few t- titles just change around when realistically they're just using the same. Skill that they've exactly. already had and they just slap a new fancy exactly. title on top of it <laughs> especially if they're going for a new job <laughs> yeah it looks good yeah that. yeah it looks good on the resume yeah. uh so in your opinion what steps should i guess this is a very big question what steps should australia be uh making towards this and the engineering industry as a whole um towards a continued focus on engineering solutions that are not only effective but also very practical as well it's mm-hmm. um, a key part um i think that workforce part is is part of it i think we need to keep growing the pipeline of future engineers and allowing trade skilled workers to come in from overseas so we've got the people to enable that most of what I do is we call it prudency and efficiency so it's how do you know that you're doing the right thing and how do you know you're doing it the right way so how can Mm. you do it in the most effective way and that really changes depending on what do you value and so I think that's when the kind of interesting and grey conversations around what do we value to make sure we we know we're doing the right thing might change Mm. within an Mm. organisation or within a different landscape and so we are seeing a bit of a shift in value. I think historically companies really valued financial security and decisions were made purely on economics. And now we're seeing a bit of a shift towards how do we value the social impacts? How do we value you know, the environmental mm. impacts? And how do we know that we're really getting the best value out of this mm. decision? So yeah. Yeah. that's a bit of a shift in mindset as mm. well towards having confidence in the decisions we're making almost like defining value differently yeah yeah yeah, exactly Mm. and like people seem to steer away when it's hard to quantify yeah it's really easy to quantify financial benefits Mm. can't chuck it in a pie graph and put a bunch of fancy numbers on it exactly (laughs) (laughs) it's a bit harder to you know how do you value social amenity and how do you how do you value environmental impacts and yeah. those discussions become a little bit more robust yeah and that's the thing they carry so much weight too that people don't really see especially engineers sometimes in terms mm-hmm. of those values because like without those the projects sometimes collapse especially with companies like kpmg where you're interacting with clients mm-hmm. like on a weekly daily basis uh, and you're trying to push that out there i guess 
yeah, it does carry a lot of value. Yeah. Mm, and I guess yeah. we see like the power industry does this really well where they're thinking mm. about what impact do they have on their customers. So they think about how do I make sure my supply is reliable? But also for those who own um, poles and wires, how do I make sure I'm not creating bushfires if some mm. of my assets fail? Yeah, yeah. Or how do I make sure I'm not creating a safety True. consequence here from my decision? So. Mm. Um, industries like that that are asset intensive and have a lot of interaction with customers are thinking about these things and mm. they're thinking about how can I do this better? How do I have more data to support some of these decisions? Mm, true. I'm guessing that plays a lot into like the risk identification <laughs> exactly. um, processes as well um, and identifying what the current risks are, what the future risks yeah. are going to be. Like, have you done much of that recently in your job? Yeah, definitely. Risk yeah. is an area that I'm like really passionate about, yeah, which okay. sounds strange to say, and yeah. I kind of fell into it. But yeah. um, and risk means different things to different people. Yeah, so right. Mm. How would how would you define risk? Yeah, risk. I mean, there is an international standard that defines risk. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> risk is the effect uh, of uncertainty okay. on objectives. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> which means like, how do you know what you're trying to achieve? What are your objectives? Yeah. And then anything that you're uncertain about, like how are you managing that? How are you identifying that? Which hmm. means if you have that objective focused, it means you're always focused on like the end goal. Whereas I've sat in, in earlier in my career, really long, arduous risk workshops where like line by line Excel spreadsheets going through <laughs> yeah. every possible hazard. And oh, yeah. <laughs> that to me is not great risk management. Yeah. Um, it's it's really about identifying what do you want to do, what matters most, and how can I manage the things that are going to potentially impact that to minimize my uncertainty. Mm, yeah. How do, how do you go about that without, like you just mentioned, having a look at every single thing? Like how do you manage that under one umbrella in a sense? Is, is that a, is that a tricky to do? Um, it, it can be. I yeah. think it's just about having a clear process for going through it and making sure everyone's been involved in the process. Mm. Risk is one of those disciplines where it does benefit from having a really broad stakeholder group. So mm. it's about kind of balancing all the different inputs, trying to make sense of that all and work out how, to, how do you quantify that and how do you put that in a meaningful way. Mm, yeah. Do you, do you run that through any specific software or is it more of just a human-based analysis, like where you're looking at it and you can see the trends or you can see the problems? Or do you yeah. run it through something yeah. that gives you an end result? It depends. So, oh, there's yeah. yeah, there's different softwares out there that you can do like um, probabilistic analysis. So, you can mm. do sort of more statistical analysis mm, to run yeah, yeah. multiple scenarios and go, what's my most likely scenario going to be? So, rather than doing it by gut or guesswork you can yeah. have some foundation to it yeah you can also do really detailed asset risk assessments yeah, right. where you're kind of looking at what's the condition of my asset when's yeah. it likely to fail if it does fail what happens mm. what's the likelihood of that happening yeah right. so you can do really detailed um, asset risk assessments that are quantified and kind of you can use modeling software to do that as mm. well that's cool. Um, let's take a trip down memory lane, if you will. Um, <laughs> let's. <laughs> so in the engineering industry, obviously, everyone has a, a bit of a step-by-step process of how they get to where they are. So mm-hmm. what, what would you say are some hurdles or things, you know, hoops you jumped through to get to where you are now? What would, you know, what would you do differently? Mm. And what would you yeah. suggest other people do as well? Mm. I don't know if I'd do anything differently. I definitely had a very linear view of the world when I left uni. I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, stay in this role for X amount of years. Um, I guess one of the hurdles that I faced earlier in my career was 
I couldn't um, progress until I re- until I had my chartered status. Uh, yeah. oh, right. So um, I'm a bit of a stubborn person. I don't like being told what to do just for the <laughs> sake of ticking a box. <laughs> yeah, that's um, fair. But that was a hurdle that I jumped over and I'm glad I did it because going through the process and having someone externally deem you to be competent in the area kind of helps with credibility It'll be satisfying too yeah like, it's a bit of a like yeah, <laughs> yeah. i did this i show <laughs> you yeah. um so that was kind of a hurdle i know we're talking about like old school mentalities i think that's a mentality you must be a chartered engineer to demonstrate that you're mm. capable and credible but that's kind of helped me in other arenas as well because it is recognized and and people value it so mm. it's must yeah. i um, kind of put my feet in at the time it, it was a good <laughs> career decision yeah, for me okay. and then I kind of um, I was yeah I was on a pretty linear path and then I made a bit of a sideways step whilst I was at Oricon and I think that yeah. was based on a bit of a gut feel but yeah, ended up yeah. being a, one of the best decisions I've made and <laughs> since then I don't I don't have a career plan so I don't mm, I don't yeah. have a process for what my next five yeah. years looks like that's fair and that's okay like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just winging it you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the thing because some people sit down and if they do make that plan they're like oh i want to be here by 2020 blah, yeah. blah, blah. i want to be this company and then i want to be here and then be here. and then something fails along in that step and then mm. they feel really bad about yeah. themselves and they're like oh i'm not where i'm supposed to be definitely and they have this like existential crisis and they're like oh i'm meant to be at this company at this point in my career yeah. and that sort of thing and then it all sort of goes down here and then they're like oh is engineering really for me yeah and then, <laughs> and then they have that sort of like look in the mirror and they're like oh what have i done but i think if you just sometimes just let it go with the flow Mm. if you find yourself in the best scenarios especially like you just mentioned gut feeling Mm -hmm. (laughs) like Mm. you don't always have to go with your gut feeling but sometimes when you do it's for the best yeah yeah Yeah. and i think you run the risk of missing out on other opportunities if you have a really siloed approach of this is my pathway this is the only thing Mm. that's going to work for me yeah someone could be coming with you with opportunities and you don't even recognize it Mm. because you're just not looking for it yeah, um, so true. I think if you can be open to more opportunities, then it kind of unlocks a more interesting and diverse career. Mm, yeah, that's one thing that we've found. I mean, like yeah. when we went, first went to university, I was like, yeah, not see this mechanical engineering, <laughs> go work on planes, go to this. And then like you get in there and you start talking to other engineers that are studying yeah. other majors and, and yeah. then you hear about what they're talking about. And you get a few networking events, and the next thing you know, you're talking to an engineer from this company, and then they're like, "Oh, hey, come check out this company. Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. Come on the weekend, come check this out." And like, yeah. yeah, honestly, it's the flow of time just sort of chucks you around a bit, yeah. and you can mm. end up in places that you never thought you would. Yeah. Mm. And everything yeah. seems to work out for the best in the end, anyway. Yeah. Most of the time. The, sometimes. Most of the time. Sometimes. <laughs> but like, you know, even something that seems like it's not gonna work out, it could, you know, lead to something else, which is like. Yeah, yeah a really I mean, great you can opportunity, only you know? ever make a decision at, yeah. at a point in time with the information you have. And yeah, exactly. so as long as you're comfortable with the decisions yeah. you're making and, mm. you, you know, you accept them and move on, then mm. yeah, I don't true. think you can really expect much more of yourself. Yeah, that's true. That's a very good point. Uh, so specifically, what sparked your interest in engineering? Um, do you think where you've ended up now has been because of your interests? Mm. I, uh, I think when I was a kid, I really liked playing with Lego. Like I grew up with an <laughs> older brother, so I always liked that. And yeah. I think I thought I would end up in interior designing. Oh, okay. Mm. My first job was probably close to that. Like I was working in built environment doing design work. So cool. it was buildings and had that creative element and that interaction with people. Um, yeah. But I, I wasn't necessarily super focused on engineering when I was at high school or anything. Mm-hmm. I really liked maths and 
and physics and one of my high school students recommended I do engineering and yeah. <laughs> that's kind of Combined how I ended up here. the best of both worlds, design choice. and the maths, yeah. I guess, and chuck it together and you got engineering in some sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I guess I've stayed because I love problem solving and so mm. it like it gives me the opportunity to do that and in a really tangible way and yeah. I find meaning from my work and yeah. it excites me and it challenges me. And yeah. I think I'd be bored if I was doing something else. So. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. yeah, like you mentioned, engineering is very satisfying, but there are also other days where you're just like, oh, like yeah. I'm not seeing anything come out of this. Like, is it really that useful? Yeah. Then you have the days too where you're like, oh, wow, that's so crazy. Like what I've done is actually having this effect on somebody or yeah. a project. And you're like, that's so gratifying. And yeah. at the end of the day, you're like, that's crazy. And I guess for like people like yourself, sort of creative people who want to have more of an input into projects and things mm-hmm. like that and seeing the your inputs are having an effect yeah. and like having that creative approach to things completely changes things as well. And mm-hmm. I think yeah. engineering, yeah, there's some parts of that where if you apply the creative process, you can totally change a project or totally definitely. change yeah. where something is heading towards. That's and I think if you think about the people who are going to be impacted by the work that you do as well, yeah. it allows you to work through your designs better or work through your solutions better, but mm. also just better understand mm. how does the work that I do impact people, mm. which for me is where I get meaning from the work that I do. Yeah. So that, that's kind of why I like playing in the power and water space because I fundamentally think that everyone should have access to yeah. clean drinking water and reliable power. So cool. Yeah, that's mm. awesome. <laughs> it's more of like a society point of view, yeah. being like, I can help people. Exactly. Like engineers are like superheroes in exactly. a sense. Like, <laughs> I can help all these people. It's so great. Yeah. 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 Um, so out of all the amazing opportunities and stuff that's come your, come your way throughout your career, what are some things that really stick out, uh, whether it's projects mm-hmm. or assignments? Like what's your favorite so far? Mm. I think favorite and things that stick out are probably not necessarily the same answer, okay. but go with both. Then. <laughs> both. <laughs> yeah. um, I worked on a project over in Port Moresby and PNG, oh, which cool. was incredible because it kind of changed mm. my view of what I could do as an engineer. So mm. originally, it was a multi-year project. It's actually still going on, but cool. um, it's and cool. it's for a national courts complex over there. Uh, and I was originally involved in the design and then moved into construction and I had never thought I'll go and work in PNG. It was never yeah. on my plan. Yeah, sort of out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I did for for like a few years. I'd go over for three or four days every month and yeah. um, spend time on site and be there. And it it really changed my view of what can engineers do and yeah. why are we doing this? Like there was much more connection to the people on that mm, project mm. and much more um, sort of direct visibility of the work that you're doing and positive impact it yeah. was having. I feel so, like it's really easy as engineers to disconnect from the people who are actually going to be using yeah. what you're doing and just focus on the like uh, like the object yeah. of what mm. you're trying to create and trying to build. Definitely. I think, mm. yeah. I think you can get a bit siloed in thinking like what's the best technical outcome here mm. rather than <laughs> thinking like for that, it wasn't the, the objective of the project wasn't to get the best technical outcome. Mm. For us, it was to do something that could be maintainable in a really low cost and potentially low skilled environment where people mm. weren't available to help maintain the building. So it was all around um, sustainability. How can we have less artificial lighting and just more mm. open airways and so less cool. air con and 
those sorts of considerations. Yeah. It's such a beautiful thing because you get to see the impact on like not only just a few people but the whole community yeah. and the whole society mm. and people like that haven't really had experiences like we have where we take everything for granted like our <laughs> aircon and our running water and you go over there and you're like, wow, this changes my perspective yeah. on mm. everything. And it's like at that point in time, you're like, well, maybe engineers are superheroes, you yeah. know, like mm. we're going in here and changing these entire these people's entire lives and their communities. Yeah. It's, such a, it's such a nice uplifting thing yeah. and also like not just that but you feel like like we're impacting these people on a personal level as well. Like yeah. we're impacting their life from when the minute they wake up, the minute they go to bed. We're, at some point in that in that time schedule, exactly. we're changing their lives a little bit. Yeah. It's such a nice thing. And that probably yeah. was a little bit of a turning point in my career where I, up until then I'd been working in built environment and I loved it and mm. I loved the aesthetic side of it, like see, creating beautiful spaces that people enjoyed. But that project for me was kind of a bit of a challenge for Am I focused in the right sector? Mm, Could yeah, I be right. doing dif- something differently? So it was a bit of a shifting point for me to think about, yeah. like, what's my role and what what legacy do I want to leave behind? Yeah, that's yeah. true. Was that more of like a sort of reflecting on, oh, do I have the skills sort of thing? Or was it sort of like, um, this isn't where I want to be? It was just a little bit jarring spending four days in PNG and then coming back to Brisbane. Like, yeah. It's like real island time. Everyone takes time <laughs> to connect. Everyone's mm, really focused yeah. on the present and what you're doing here and now. And then coming back into like a really busy uh, office environment yeah. where people are working on multiple things and kind of like pulling your attention for things that seem really arbitrary compa- mm. compared to the environment you've been in. It was yeah. a bit, it's a bit of a hard shift. Like the problems that we have here are nothing compared yeah. to the problems that they have yeah. there and they're trying to yeah. raise about. Like here, yeah. it's like the coffee machine's broken. <laughs> exactly. I need it to work. I don't have my favorite beans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, um, yeah, so I guess acknowledging that not every great engineer succeeds without uh, failures. What mm-hmm. are sort of, I think we touched on this a little bit, but what hoops in particular have you had to jump through to get to where you are today that not, other people would really have those hurdles. Is there anything specific mm-hmm. to you? Uh, and what's been that biggest hurdle? I've progressed quite fast in my career. I've always been pretty aspirational to like, challenge myself and take on stretch opportunities. Obviously, with that comes great opportunities, but it also comes challenges if you're mm. being, if you're a young female leading teams mm. of people who are older than you. Yeah, definitely. So definitely the age bias is a, something that I've struggled with a little bit. So, yeah. you know, having to put a bit more effort into probably proving your credibility and yeah. working on leadership skills and helping people gain confidence in your ability, which mm. is potentially something that other peers of mine haven't had to do in their career mm, at the same true. time. Is that why Chartered was such a big thing? Just yeah. Just credibility as well so you could... Yeah, definitely. It definitely mm. helped. So whilst I saw it as a hurdle, it actually helped me because I could yeah. wa- walk into a room and say, you know, I'm Chartered. I'm chartered. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which does hold weight with people, particularly for some old school engineers mm, yeah. who, who, you know, that's been really important to them. So. Um, for anyone who doesn't know what Chartered is, oh, could yeah. you quickly explain what that is? Yeah, it's it's probably changed a little bit since I've done it, but it's a um, process run by Engineers Australia that's um, sort of an external professional body mm. that looks at your capability against some competency areas of what they deem to be a um, competent and capable engineer. Mm. Mm. And then you go through a process of assessment where you submit evidence and you might have an interview and then independent assessors kind of test you on your understanding uh, of that engineering discipline but also mm. things like ethics and yeah, your ability yeah. to make decisions in potentially difficult 
uh, situations. Mm. That's important for engineers. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, ethics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, very important. Um, on that note, for all aspiring engineers out there, what are some words of wisdom that you would share to help them along their journey? Um, and any tips for university or study that mm. you found helped you? I think when I left uni, I thought I had to have it all figured out. Like I, ne- I thought yeah. I needed to know where I was going and what I wanted to focus on. Mm. And I didn't at the time. I kind of was just feeling it out. Um, so I don't think you need to have it all figured out. Yeah. Mm. And I think you can kind of take time and pressure off yourself to do that. Mm. And just kind of accept where you're at, learn as much as you can and kind of get as most as many experiences as you can but you you don't have to have it all figured out and i think anyone who tells yeah. you that they do is lying yeah, yeah. definitely oh mm. yeah most definitely i think it's the same thing when you're coming out of high school as well hey yeah. like at the end of year 12 you're like okay this is what i want to be moving towards and then it just changes the second you hit university well that's, that's what it was like for me anyway yeah, yeah. and it just like completely turns everything on its head yeah, <laughs> in terms like of where it. you want to go mm. yeah I, I yeah very much like reminisce on that as well mm. for sure any tips for anyone in university at the moment trying to make waves in the engineering industry sort of like trying to create make waves like (laughs) create change drive innovation uh, that sort of thing I think what we're seeing through students and grads coming through is a real sense of passion and purpose so I wouldn't hide that I think if you're if you're super passionate about something and you know Mm. that's kind of something to hold on to because a lot of people spend their whole careers trying to find that so if you know what you want to do then go for it Mm, and if you expect things out of your employer as well, then find an employer that's going to provide that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, and I think taking some responsibility for your career as well. Like it's not, no one else is going to tell you what you should be doing. You, mm, there's an onus yeah. on you to kind of figure out what you want to do, what do you enjoy spending yeah. your time. So kind of reflecting and thinking about it. What do I like doing on my day to day? Like what would excite me? What would keep me engaged yeah true so just reflecting on like what do i want out of a career and then mm. how can i find an employer that might align to that mm. yeah yeah i think that's a big thing nowadays that companies are slowly getting there is creating those sort of spaces where you can be yourself and yeah. apply your skills mm. and they're trying to project that a little bit more and being like yeah. hey this is you can be yourself here and that's fine like no one's yeah. going to judge you for it sort of those safe spaces which is great because yeah. that's where a lot of the creative decision making comes into place from yeah, that i think definitely. as well it helps you you know you jog your brain a little bit more in those sort of spaces because yeah. you can be yourself and i guess you won't hold back on your decision making is yeah. what i'm trying to say yeah. so and i think like that's definitely an environment where i thrive i like being in an environment yeah. where when we're in a project team everyone's voice is heard and yeah. like yeah. no idea is a bad idea mm. and so like important. let's get it all out on the table because i think if you don't have that challenge when you're going through a solution how do you know that you've got the best outcome Mm. yeah that's true so if you don't have that in an employer it can be hard so yeah Yeah, very true because i guess no one really knows the outcome exactly especially for some of these emerging areas where we literally haven't done it before yeah Yeah. exactly yeah so everyone's voice yeah Yeah, exactly yeah you might as well hear everybody yeah um looking into the future what do you think are some must-have skills for engineers in your field in the next five or ten years and what are some insider tips you'd give for students like directions they could go Mm -hmm. to make the most of that and stay ahead of the game Mm. I think what some people call softer skills are super important. So I think ability to communicate not Mm. just with other engineers, but with people from different backgrounds is really important, Mm. particularly as the world becomes more complex. 
Like, yeah. I think as engineers, we might understand things that others don't, but the ability to, under- to understand that yourself and communicate that in a simple way, I think is going to be really important. Curiosity is a skill that you should never lose. It's, it might not be a skill, but maybe it's more <laughs> a mindset. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. just learning, having that growth mindset of, you know, how can I learn more about this or how can I tackle mm. something in a different way is something that's important. And I think that like sort of self-start or as I said before, like taking responsibility for your own career is important. Yeah, definitely. I don't think anyone's going to give it to you on a plate unless yeah. you yeah. ask for it. Yeah. yeah, I can definitely yeah support that in terms of being like, yeah, know what else is out there and know that yeah. there are other factors considered into this engineering decision-making and that it's not mm. just engineering. Like yeah. there are no. other people out there yeah. <laughs> like, that it impacts everything across the board. Definitely. And I'm, I'm guessing you've seen like a lot of that. Yeah, definitely in a consulting environment as well where... Yeah. We don't survive without our clients mm. and we can't do work without our teams and our people. And so mm. we don't own assets. We are we are a people's based business. So mm. yeah. Yeah, our true. teams are really important. So some of those people leadership skills become really important, but then also client engagement. How do you yeah. un- actually understand what people are asking of you? Yeah. And you know, mm. how do you again communicate that with with them in a way that they understand rather than a way mm. that you understand yeah i think that's the biggest problem that some engineers have had <laughs> is the whole communication <laughs> aspect of yeah. it like i need to get what's in my brain on a piece of paper <laughs> and then somehow into their brain yeah. how yeah. do you do that and it's yeah. like finding out that link finding out what mm. right words to say mm, yeah. and it's like that whole sentence structure thing in your head and like mm-hmm. it is a struggle it's it is it is a big problem to like to challenge i guess you lay there at night thinking like oh should i have said that differently or if i should i have approached this differently and it's like should i have told them this differently and if i had would that have a different impact today uh and like you've seen that like over the years in engineering especially yeah it's changing a lot now though which Mm. is great yeah it's definitely like stepping into the other person's shoes and sort of figuring out like where they're coming from so you can sort of use language that will be uh, related to what they're already knowledgeable about. Exactly. Like, knowledge, yeah, yeah, like yeah mm. exactly. And no one likes to feel stupid. So yeah, if, yeah, exactly. oh, if your sole purpose yeah. of being an engineer is to be the smartest person in the room, then yeah, maybe yeah. you're in the wrong room. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Yeah. Uh, we already touched on this a little bit too, but sort of peering into the future, what do you think, uh, what sort of skills um, for engineers in their field in five or 10 years time, let's say, should they start working on? You mentioned communication. Is there anything else that you would recommend? Probably the other thing that we're seeing is there's more and more data out there. So things mm. that we haven't seen in the past, like um, data engineers and mm. data analytics is becoming more and more needed mm. and expected mm. of our clients. So our clients own and manage lots of asset information. They need to make sense of it. And, you know, humans are only capable of doing that to an extent. So yeah. how can we optimize software and technology to do that? That's mm. that's definitely a growing area that we're seeing. Have yeah. you guys looked much into AI and stuff like that? Is that something? Yeah, we uh, for some applications, like we have predictive modeling software mm. that we use for things like transport. So, you know, what does the population look like? How do, how do different people move through the system and, and what's the most effective way to plan mm. accordingly? So we're looking at things like that for um, sort of asset infrastructure, long-term mm. decisions, where, where's the best way to uh, locate different assets? How do, we, how do we do future scenarios where our future's changing and then it might be a bit more dynamic than it has been mm. previously? So all of software's really helpful for all of that to play out different scenarios. Yeah. Obviously, balancing like work-life balance is really um, a huge skill, right? To have. So, what what are some things that you would suggest people do to, 
yeah, have that work-life balance between both working, family, mm-hmm. social time and all that and you know, bring it all together. Yeah, it's definitely something that I've learned. I don't think it came naturally to me. I think I overworked in the past um, mm. and, I, you know, work was a really big part of my life. It still is, but um, it doesn't necessarily define me. I think for me, little things really help for, with my boundaries. So I've got a separate work phone mm. where I can just at the end of the day stop checking emails stop taking phone calls mm. you know previously i'd be lying in bed at night checking emails and you know <laughs> getting stressed before i went to sleep which wasn't working at all yeah so a good idea yeah. i think having boundaries in place and if it's not a physical boundary then at least you know set a time boundary for yourself when yeah. you're gonna go home or yeah you know. when's like, lunch yeah when's lunch yeah. <laughs> i gotta eat at my desk or can i go outside and take a walk mm. so yeah just having an understanding of what works for you and like that might change mm. like some weeks you might be like work is my number one priority i'm not going to see my friends and family this week <laughs> but then, <laughs> but okay. then after that then though then you can see them you for as, as long as you want yeah like, exactly exactly just like uni just like exactly uni. yeah <laughs> uh, it's a whole different beast university oh, i'll tell you <laughs> I what i couldn't do it again <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh so what are some important skills uh, regarding leadership and communication that you've found to be beneficial mm. when working within your team because obviously like you just mentioned you're talking to clients you've yeah. got a team talking to people on a daily basis um, in terms of leadership and communication what's Mm -hmm. been really useful for you I think actively listening so Mm. not just like superficially listening to what people are saying but sitting with them and understanding what are you saying whether that be work related or whether they just need someone to talk to I think that is really helpful just in growing human connections and Mm. just acting as a team And I think what we were talking about before, like creating that psychological safe space so that people feel like they can bring themselves to work and they're not concealing who they are. Because Mm. I think like people are happier when they are genuinely operating in a way that's aligned with who they are and like you're more effective as a team. So it's like a win-win situation if you can think about like how can you make sure everyone's feeling included and valued here and what do you need to do differently maybe to make sure that happens. Yeah, that's a really good point because I think that's definitely something that we engineers only just started working on, <laughs> like I yeah. mentioned before. So, like, yeah, it's really great seeing that yeah. come through. Yeah. Anything, yeah. anything from a leadership perspective that you've found that works really well? Like anything that you've recently started doing where you're like, hey, this is, this is actually working. <laughs> People are starting to like, you know, um, get what I'm... I'm probably becoming more and more comfortable on. with just being genuinely who I am in yeah. work. Yeah. So when we talk about work-life balance, I don't like there being a different Ellie in work and a different yeah. Ellie in <laughs> life. <all> switch. <laughs> <laughs> Which I probably did do to an extent when i started my career i was like i'm gonna go and buy new suits (laughs) this is what i am no i don't party on the weekends no i like whereas now i'm just a bit more open about who i am Mm. and i don't so that kind of makes it easier for me to see myself in a work environment long term but i think it also makes you more um sort of accessible as a leader like you're a human you're not Mm, separated people can come to you they feel a bit more comfortable to talk to you yeah Yeah. i think i think that's a lot on what you touched on before you said um like if this isn't the right place then maybe there are other places there that are there for you and i think now that we know that there are other places out there and that whole communication field's building up and you can go on linkedin now and talk to people on there like what's it like to work in your field and that sort of thing you can think oh if okay if i'm not fitting in here then maybe i'll fit in over there yeah exactly yeah and i think that's huge like if you don't feel like you're um being valued in the environment that you spend 40 plus hours a week sometimes yeah then that's going to have a huge impact on you and Mm, and what enjoyment you get out of your work so 
I think culture's not to be underestimated. Yeah. Oh, definitely. It's huge. And I'm really glad that we're moving towards more positive yeah. ways of attacking that and looking at that. Like, it's mm. it's great to see, especially. Yeah. Another thing is also, like, with KPMG, what are some opportunities that some people who are engineers who might be interested in getting into KPMG at one point, what are some opportunities that they can, you know, look forward to coming from the company, like internships? Stuff yeah, like so we do, mm. we do vacation placements. So we do sort of student placements over Christmas. So mm-hmm. our backies have just left us. They've gone going back to uni (laughs) Uh, and we do grad positions so that application process happens so that you have a bit more certainty in your final year usually we're a growing team Mm. in IAP so we kind of have active recruitment out there all the time so if we find a good candidate it's kind of open slather if we can (laughs) if we can support it yeah Yeah. Um, so definitely like would encourage people to have a look on the website there's lots of open opportunities at the moment that's awesome yeah reach out as you said linkedin linkedin's Mm. a really good mechanism for connecting with people and just kind of Mm. understanding what they do and kpmg doesn't just do engineering too people in Mm. finance law um, yeah yeah i mean that's kind of been our bread and butter or Mm. like audit and um, finance economics Mm. it's pretty much I think it, pretty much any uni degree you could think of is, is <laughs> high in here. It's probably a pretty good place for engineers, though, because you, like you mentioned before, you get to interact with all those other people that yeah. you wouldn't typically yeah. do. Like if you just worked at a straight engineering firm, I mean, you're just surrounded by engineers and people doing project management on a daily yep. basis. But you come to a place like this, and there's people doing accounting, people doing law, legal stuff, and you're yeah. like, oh, that's interesting. That's yeah. cool. And you yeah. can sort of see where you slot into that and where engineering slots into that. And Definitely. Think, oh, my degree is like actually like applicable here. and yeah, like, Super holistic in its yeah. approach to just every problem yeah. yeah definitely i mean if the question gets asked can you do this it's normally yes because there'll be someone who can and, and the connections too just yeah. yeah what about um things in like the sustainability sector and stuff like that like more technical stuff what mm. are some problems in that in that regard would you say it would be i think where i think there has been more focus on it now than i have ever seen throughout my career so i think Sustainability is nothing new, but it's kind of going through a bit of a rebrand where Mm. people are calling it ESG, environmental, social and governance, and it's becoming on the topic of all boards. So it's got a, it's definitely got a renewed focus as well as decarbonisation, pathway Mm. to net zero. So I think that is one area that talent is getting attracted to. Like people want to be part of the solution. They Mm. want to, you know, operate in an environment where they can live out their purpose and passion. So I don't think it's a skills issue. I think we're probably just moving a little bit slower in Australia. Yeah. yeah. And we're potentially going to miss out on our market advantage because mm. other people are just going to do it faster than us. So okay. um, I think we could be more competitive in Australia and, mm. and sort of commit because it's industries that's driving it now. Yeah. And which is great. It's kind of that's the pace of change that we need, but we could be doing things faster. Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely. Is that is that different for companies like KPMG where they're working with clients and they've got to try and say, hey, look, we've got to reach these sustainable aspects and the sustainable goals of what you're trying to do. Does that change things a little bit more, do you think? Um, I think we've got a real big ability to influence, mm. but we can only go as fast as what our client's appetite is. Mm, so yeah. <laughs> we um, do what we can within our control. We've got an impact statement which kind of focuses on how are we minimizing our impact to the environment and, and making mm. sure we've got the right governance in place and we're thinking about the social considerations and we've made commitments as well that's all available um but really like that's the beauty of working in a consulting consulting environment your ability to have impact on huge client organizations is where mm. we see change so it's working in with clients and helping them understand like where are they at 
at the journey? How mm. can we help them? You know, yeah. how can we work alongside there? Huh. Yeah, true. So, any do you have any advice for any women in STEM at the moment or women in engineering that are trying to make their way through the industry or anybody in university, any women in high school even? Uh, mm. I think finding some role models has been important for me. So, at points in my career, I haven't had someone who I can look up to and kind of yeah. work, talk to about you know, what's worked for you, what hasn't worked for you. So I think finding some people who have done it and paved the way already is really yeah. helpful because, I mean, there's a great quote that says you can't be what you can't see. Yeah, so if, you, awesome. if mm. you haven't got any visible role models showing you that it's True. possible, it can seem a bit daunting. Yeah. Um, I think like lean into it as well. It might sound cliche, but <laughs> people are actively looking for females in mm. STEM. Like yeah. women in STEM is massive. And like I think that's one of the, biggest problems that we have in our sector that we're underrepresented and mm. so yeah just go for the job if you think that you've got 50 percent of the yeah of the skills just, just go for it, for it. Yeah. yeah i think it's so, easy to assume a no before you even go for something yeah yeah just just go for it and i think there's like some pretty shocking stats about yeah. women who apply for jobs compared to men based on their skill sets yeah. where oh, it's really? like oh. women typically wait until they've got most of the skill set needed rather than oh, just putting themselves out there and oh, applying really? so yeah just know yeah. that your male counterparts aren't doing that so. <laughs> i just remember like there's a thousand companies and even if you just get a no, that's okay. Exactly. No's are fine. Yeah, no's are fine. No's yeah. are, you're not in any worse position than you were before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's the worst they can say? No? Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, Ellie, on an end note, uh, if you were given the magic power to wave your wand and fix one pesky <laughs> problem in the engineering world, uh, what would you choose and how would you go about tackling it like an engineer? Probably what we were just talking about. Like, I don't think it's a pesky problem. I think it's a huge yeah. problem that women are underrepresented in STEM. Mm. So yeah. um, I don't know if there is a magic wand. I've spent most of my career <laughs> trying to figure it out. So I think there's a couple of know. things. It's kind of like, what's the problem? The problem is we're underrepresented and we need mm. more people to accurately represent community. So we're providing better outcomes. Yeah. So how can we do that? Like we can... You can attract women, and but you need to retain them. There's no point going on a big hiring spree if you're providing a shitty environment for them that they don't want to work in. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So yeah, totally. That retention piece is really important. And so connections and, like, making sure you're choosing the right company for you is mm. all part of that problem. But as employers, like, making sure we're providing that environment where we're a sort of – um, a workplace that people want to work and mm. we're attracting the right talent yeah. yeah not just getting in there to to raise the quota i guess but also yeah. like these people like let's look at it in the long run like how are they going to interact with people in the future and teams not yeah. just like mm. let's just get this in because we can raise quotas and we can show that we're yeah look yeah. we're getting women yeah. in the industry it's not like that yeah. it can all. actually promote some yeah. really counterintuitive outcomes mm. where yeah. you kind of bring women in and then they feel like they're just an the, you know a quota or they're there because yeah, you, you only got the job because you're a woman yeah. mm. so making sure that it's communicated like we want you for, for you, who you are mm. not your gender yeah definitely. is, is yeah. very important it's really interesting yeah. ellie thank you so much for thank taking the time out to come on the engineering me. bus cast no worries fun. yeah, yeah. breaking my podcast tree because <laughs> <laughs> that yeah no definitely some really good advice there um, i think the ellisons will really find it valuable yeah Excellent. yeah definitely mm. for anyone looking to get into uh kpmg or anywhere that mm. has engineering and accounting slash law slash everything mixed yep. in like mm. it's it's very it's, it's such a dynamic workspace yeah and um i think you touched a lot of good points on communication yeah uh, as well as leadership and what you're doing most importantly. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you very much.
much. Thanks for Thanks having so much me. For your time. No worries. That's so fun. Thanks, Ellie. And with all that said, if you've enjoyed today's episode, please don't forget to share this with your mates or colleagues who also might benefit from these discussions as well. And uh, yeah, if you can, just leave an honest review or rating on your preferred podcast platform. With all that said, you've been listening to the Engineering Buzzcast with your hosts, Jacob Primus and Daniel Hardy. And until next time, see you in the next episode. See you in the next episode. See ya. The top job is that of the engineer. This requires a great amount of ability and training in mathematics. And you should have some courses in a...